This podcast is brought to you by Training This podcast is brought to you by Training Tilt Software. Training Tilt is a complete toolkit for coaches, health and fitness professionals and nutritionists. Combine your website, your e-commerce needs, client communications and training plans into a single affordable platform. With this software and expert business advice, you can get better results for your clients and your businesses. If you're wanting more information about Training Tilt, please go to lisatarmity.co.nz forward slash training tilt. Now on with the show. Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the podcast that gets deep into the psyche of extraordinary achievers across all genres, cutting to the chase to unlock the secrets of their success, their achievement, philosophies, and motivations. Join us in the quest to find out what makes the movers and shakers of our world tick and what gems and wisdom we can learn from them. Now, over to your host, Lisa Tamati. Well, welcome to the show, Pushing the Limits, with Lisa Tamati, your host. And today I have Cam Langsford with us. Now, Cam is a competitive uh, triathlete. He's done nine Ironmans in his time and a number of shorter triathlon distances and is very competitive. Uh, But he is also a software developer and entrepreneur. And I wanted to get Cam on because... I actually work with Cam on a couple of my businesses. They're, my platforms are run through his software, and I love his software, Training Tilt, which is really, really fantastic. Um, and I wanted to get the inside running on what what's happening in the te- technology world, how small startup entrepreneurs can uh, take advantage of technology today, what you need to be aware of, and just where he thinks things are going in the future. So I get a whole lot of really good tips out of Cam for the small startup. So if you're an entrepreneur or you want to be an entrepreneur, you want to think about how to uh, utilize the software skills um, that are out there now, the platforms that are out there now, the techniques and tools, then listen in because today has got some great tips for you. Now over to Cam Langsford. Well, welcome to the show, everybody. It's Lisa Tamati here at Pushing the Limits, and today I've got a bit of treat, uh, treat in store for you. I have Cam Langsford with me, who is sitting in Auckland with me via Skype, and Cam is a software developer, and he's going to talk to us all about his uh, new platform, his businesses, his background. He's also a very good triathlete and Ironman, and uh, welcome to the show, Cam. Hi, Lisa. Um, yeah, thanks very much. Great to be here. <laughs> Fantastic to have you. Now, Cam, um, let's go a little bit into your background, and um, I know you because we've been working uh, together, if you like, on um, where I've been using your software platform for the last few years, which I've been really, really loving and enjoying and have two businesses running through there. Um, but Cam has uh, got a bit of a, a long history in triathlon and so on. So yeah, let's let's start at the beginning. Cam, tell us a little bit about your childhood, where you grew up, and and all that sort of good stuff. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I grew up in Cambridge, which is in the middle of the North Island of New Zealand. Um, very rural area, lots of dairy farms and horse racing, um, and lots of stuff like that. And my uh, my dad was an agricultural contractor, so he worked on lots of people's farms, and um, so I guess I had quite a typical New Zealand up, upbringing. Yeah. Um, maybe not if you if you're from Auckland, but um, but everyone else has those similar sorts of upbringings. I think um, I went to local high school there, um, finished high school, didn't really know anything about myself at that point, didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, I was quite a good rugby player, Um, so I pretty much went to university for something to do while I was playing rugby, and I just did the the same courses that my friends were doing, um, just because I didn't really have any any idea what I wanted to do. I had some sort of vague idea that I might be a professional rugby player for a little while or something like that. When I was growing up, um, maybe... When I turned 15, the professional era of rugby came around. Before that, it was all um, amateur. And I'd made some representative um, age group teams, so I thought, you know, that could be something that worked out for me. Um, in the end, I, I sort of went, got through university, did a degree 
in marketing and business communications. Um, something that, uh, ironically, I never used anything in that degree for the next 20 years or something um, <laughs> until now. Um, now that I've been running my own business for a while, um, all that stuff that I thought was a bit useless actually turns out to not to, to be quite useful. Um, yeah, so I left university and, and again I didn't really know what I wanted to do and uh, I didn't I didn't uh, I didn't have a lot of confidence. Um, so I wasn't ready to go and like jump into a job. Um, uh, you and I have talked about it. I've always had this imposter syndrome for myself that. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm worried that whatever I do, like someone will find you out that you, um, <laughs> that you don't know what the hell you're doing, and uh, you know you're trying to like. So I could be applied for some marketing jobs or something, and then I just thought, oh, I, don't, I don't know anything about marketing. Like, how am I going to get a marketing job? Just spent four years learning about it, but um, yeah. So I sort of, when I look back now, I took the easy way out and went to the UK for a little while um, on Maui. And I sort of tied that into a, a semi-professional rugby contract that I'd managed to get for for a third division um, rugby club in, um, just out of London. So I, I lived and worked in London for about five years, sort of just bumping bumping into everything um, on my way with no real direction in what I wanted to do. Um, so yeah, for there for five years, um, did a lot of uh, drinking. A lot of travelling, um, just what everyone does, and then uh, sort of finished playing rugby because it was just um, uh, I wasn't I wasn't motivated by it anymore, and um, I probably I never put the work in that was required to be a professional rugby player, and I think I worked out that that probably wasn't what I wanted to do anyway, even if I I was prepared to do the work, um, and then at some point I thought that I might end up living in the UK forever. And then one day I just woke up and realised that I didn't want to be there at all. So just decided that I was going to come home. So uh, packed all my stuff, which wasn't much, because living in the UK, like I just had a couple of suitcases worth of stuff, and that was about it. And um, at the time, I'd sort of landed myself um, in an IT job looking after a business's computer network. Um, yes, yeah, so I, I sort of felt like, so up to this point, I'd pretty much fallen into everything that I'd ever done. Bumbled, um, bumbled along, so to speak, the sort of typical young yeah, kid yeah, who we lost yep, in, without, the, in, the, in the wilderness sort of thing. Yep, yep, just sort of like, oh, I'm quite good at that, maybe I'll do some of that, or like, I know, I know like, I'm quite good with computers and I was always quite interested in it, and then someone offered me a job in it, so I thought, oh yeah, that seems like quite a cool thing to do. Uh, but while I was there, I sort of got, I fell into um, some programming type things. So I was working on, um, it probably doesn't make a lot of sense because everyone just thinks computers are computers, right? But, um, no, no, they're far yeah. more complicated than that now. Yeah. <laughs> so at the time I was working on networking stuff like servers and stuff for a business and I fell into some programming stuff which is actually writing software which is pretty much completely different to just working with computers. Um, so I got really interested in that. So I thought, oh, okay, I'm going to go home to New Zealand. And this is when I first started feeling some passion for something. I'm going to go home to New Zealand, and then I'm going to like get a programming job, and I'm going to do that. So I headed home through Asia. I spent about um, five or six months in Asia. I popped back to Auckland for Christmas and then went back traveling again, just being a friend that I met um, in the UK. And arrived home, and I thought, right, now I actually feel like I know what I want to do. So I got like a junior programming job and I was working for like, at the, at the time I think I was 28 or 29, I was working for this 20 year old guy who was working for his dad's company. So he was like my boss, um, which is fine. I learned a bit there and then got another job um, programming and then I thought, I, I, I started to feel like I was actually really good at it. And then uh, landed myself a job, a really good job, and I was pretty much stayed there for eight years or something like that. And then by that point, I was, I was sort of slipping back into that rut where you don't make any of your own decisions. Um, everything. You were, you were still in Asia at this time, were you? Uh, no, so I just got back from oh, Asia. You, you were back in, you were back in yep. New Zealand go, at this go, time. Yep, so yep. Got, back to, got back to Auckland, actually, so... I actually moved straight back to Auckland, so I'd never lived anywhere other than Cambridge yep, and London. In London. Yep. Yep. 
So I thought, oh, yeah, maybe Auckland's a better place for me to go. I couldn't really imagine jumping back into um, life in Cambridge. Plus, there would have been no work there for me, maybe Hamilton. But, um, yeah, so I thought I moved to Auckland, got myself a junior programming job and sort of worked my way up the, the ranks um, in, in one job. So I ended up being like the head of architecture in a software company. Um, and then got really bored with that and didn't really believe in what believe in what I, the software that I was working on. And we had gone through lots of rounds of raising millions of dollars, spending it all, not having any customers, just like typical startup sort of mentality well, yeah. of the early early 2000s. Yeah, well, tell us you know a little bit about that because it's, it's a bit of an interesting and, and unknown area for, for you know, 99% of us who aren't in that, that world. How does that sort of process happen that a company starts up, you know, back then, uh, you know, uh, internet companies were going through the roof. Um, so you, you ended up wasting quite a lot of money, basically, in developing this particular software. Yeah, so... What typically what happens, like, so if you think about software, I won't go into too much detail and bore everyone, but, <laughs> you know, in the 90s, if you wanted to buy software, you'd, like, go down to the software shop or Noel Emi or something and you'd buy a CD. And then the most popular software products around there were, like, Microsoft Office, like Windows, and then maybe, you know, if you were, if you were born in the 90s, you might have got yourself a pirated copy of um, Photoshop, or something because it was so expensive to buy and you had a copy of it on a CD and you, and you used that or something. And then um, in the early 2000s, a company called Salesforce um, decided that that isn't a very good way to, to create software and buy and sell software because um, basically if you want to fix anything about your, about your software that might be broken, um, you go off and... You build it all again, and then you got to ship your CD to the store, and then someone's got to go to the store and buy it or whatever. Anyway, so what happened was something called Software as a Service was born, and this is the same time that the internet was taking off as well. So so now most software platforms, you just go and subscribe online, and you pay a monthly fee um, to use it. So the early days of that um, pretty much involved, if you wanted to create something like that, you needed to hire a team of developers Maybe you'd start with five or ten developers and pay them big salaries, and you know, and then it might take you a year of spending lots and lots of money before you even had a product. So this whole startup culture was born where before you can do anything, uh, you need money, right? So you can't like if you're an accountant, you can day one you go and start charging people for doing their accounts because you just you're, you're, the work is inside you. You can do the work. Um, you don't need much. You do their accounting for them and they pay you. Um, but with software, you first need to build your product. So everyone goes through these rounds of funding. It's like, okay, I've got this idea for, build, for building software. Can I have some money? And, and there was then, a so, lot of money available back in the early 2000s. Yeah, when would this have been? In the late 90s, yeah. 90s um, early 2000s. So there was lots of money. to So venture capital... Yep, pretty much, pretty much venture capitalists. Um, it was a really popular thing to do to invest money in software because, I mean, if you look at companies like I mentioned, um, Salesforce, who are massive now, mm-hmm. uh, they were earning a lot of money, and then some you know, other um, other companies came about that all, that took off as well. Um, huge potential, but huge risks involved. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and I suppose nothing's much changed in that respect, has it? As, but now software, there is software for every blooming thing. You know, back in the day, yep. like you say, it was Microsoft Word and Photoshop, and those are probably, you know, where I left off <laughs> and until I started working with you and didn't have any idea of, yeah. of the plethora of things out there. And now there's pretty much a software uh, program for, I don't know, everything, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, there is. And um, and there's, uh, there's actually, and it's really what I'm, I'm involved in now, that... Um, because, because of all of these, it's like um, it's like chicken and egg situation almost now. So, because of all of these software companies that have built themselves up over time to provide these services online for a monthly fee, which is reasonably affordable, um, a lot of that stuff's uh, automated um, your ability to, to even create software. So, 
um, now there's a whole lot of companies coming up, small companies who um, can like leverage all of these other pieces of software to do things that they would used to have had to hire people to do. Right. So uh, this is, you know, if I can stop you there for a second, because this is, I think, where it's interesting for young starting entrepreneurs out there listening to this. And one of the reasons I wanted to get Cam on was to give them an idea, because I know as an entrepreneur myself, how much I've struggled in the last few years with understanding this digital world, knowing that there's a huge, huge opportunity here um, in whatever, you know, in a number of industries, um, ours in the health and fitness industry, obviously, and, and mind coaching industry. Um, but there's there's opportunities, you know, right across different industries, but people, like little, little entrepreneurs like myself, um, don't really know how to engage, so what, what is needed, you know, everyone has a website and that's about as far as they get, and unless they've been in, involved in this world like you have, it's a, it's a really unknown entity, and this is one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on, so that you can show people the potential, um, and we're going to get onto a case study of what, what Cam's been working on for the last few years, and how that would be applicable to um, trainers and coaches out there, in particular, but yeah, give us a bit of yeah. So this step through this this uh, change in the world. We're going from Microsoft and Office and Photoshop, and now it's now now it's becoming easier for smaller entrepreneurs to use other people's packaged software and then develop it further. Is that what, right? What I'm understanding? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's, it's even gone past the point now where it's about technology. Um, like the tools are about technology, but actually. You don't need to um, – how can I explain it? I, I heard someone talking about it the other day. This, so this, these aren't my thoughts, but um, struck a chord with me is that, you know, we went through this industrial revolution a while ago, which meant that all these factories popped up to make lots of stuff. So then all of these other things pop up around it. Um, so people needed to be in a certain location for work because that's where the factories were. And then all of the office buildings can pop up to, to, to be around that. And then everyone knows needs to be in an office. So if you've got a business that's part of the Industrial Revolution or whatever, you need to have like a floor of an office and employ like 30 or 500 people yep. to do all of these things. Um, and now I feel like we're moving into – and then so then everyone went away from like being a baker and a builder and a, and a plumber and – you know, as much as those those jobs are all important now, um, you know, like, you know, 50 years ago would have, you know, the, all of these jobs, like there's the administration jobs in, in a business, they just never would have existed because no one, no one needed them to do it. Yeah. And, and now I think we're coming back the other way where all of those jobs can be replaced by um, technology. And... You know, you might think, oh, that's not a very good thing because they're replacing people's jobs. But I think it's, I think it's great actually because it's a real opportunity for anyone to go. So if you looked at what I do now, so I pretty, I pretty much do um, almost everything just with myself. Mm-hmm. So I, I, you know, I, I, I outsource some stuff for work that, for some extra work that I don't want to do myself because you can't do everything. Um, but Ten years ago, there's no way I would have been able to do any of that. Right. Just because all of these tools are in. So I think we're going to move back to everyone, and you know, and instead of working for big businesses, we'll be able to move back to everyone working for themselves again. This is the fantastic uh, opportunity that I see and yeah. that I've taken advantage of. Um, but the difficulty is for someone starting out in this digital world and how do they actually understand this whole – it's like learning a foreign language really, isn't it? Um, yeah. And you've been immersed in it for so long, you've probably forgotten, you know, the basics that people just don't know on a, on a you know, man-on-the-street level. Um, but this is where the, the opportunities are huge because all these these tools are out there, but how do you integrate all these tools into your website, you know? And, and, and people are becoming more sophisticated. The consumer's becoming much more sophisticated, so you're having to keep up all the time. Um so what sort of opportunities can young entrepreneurs see? You know, like give us an example. Um, you know, take us maybe, you know, uh, without naming names, but a couple of your clients, um, how they've used software 
to develop their businesses? Yeah, so if we look at one of our clients um, who's a nutrition coach, mm-hmm. so she um, is a is quite well known nutritionist, and she has a big social following. Um, but what most people don't understand, and you don't understand it until you do have a big social following, uh, like say if you got a Facebook page and you got thousands of thousands of likes. Um, that actually doesn't tran- um, transfer to income. No. Um, and Facebook, Facebook's pretty much one of the worst places to be for actually making uh, like a job out of whatever you do. Oh. So, so, um, and, and, the, and the problem with that is that Facebook's really distracting. And so it's really easy for someone to like your page and to like your comments and to say, oh, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, oh, yeah, I love what you do. But... Um, like if you are, if, if your job is is trying to provide these services for someone, and everyone on Facebook gets used to everything being free, um, yeah. Huge. So like, so how do you take that? So how do you leverage that following to turn it into some income? Are there better platforms out there that, you know, for example, yeah. for a nutritionist, yeah. you know, everyone's all into having their Facebook page and getting their likes up and doing adverts yeah. and stuff on there. But, okay, Facebook isn't the number one, depending on your industry, of course, isn't the number one. How else can you yeah. so, so, um, build so a following? It's still, it's still really important, the social followings. But then what you have to do is you have to convert that to, to business. And that's the hard uh, part. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's the hardest part. So <laughs> there's, like, there's a big... So you start with a... Like everyone... Um, so you... If you think about a sales funnel, and that's a real popular word that I don't like to use so much, but pretty much a sales funnel is, say, if you've got all of these people on Facebook that like you, say 15,000 people, you need to slowly put those people into the funnel to the bottom where you'll have a few people that will you know, um, convert to actually paying customers. Okay, so explain so, sales funnel for the uninitiated. Yeah, so it's... Um, you start at the top with all of these people. So you start at the top with your audience, pretty much. And then you, so they all go into the top of the funnel. So the top of your funnel might be your, your Facebook page. And then they go into the funnel and then a whole lot of people fall out the sides. Um, and then inside your funnel, you've got like um, a lot of processes that go on. And, and mainly these can be controlled by technology. So you might get someone to sign up to your mail newsletter. So then they go into a different part of the funnel, and then, um, and then, and then you might have someone sign up and buy like an ebook or something. So then that's towards down the bottom of the funnel is where you actually make the money. So you might get like fifteen thousand people in at the top of the funnel, and then through the funnel they're all going through some sort of process, and it doesn't need to be automated. It might be manual, seeing different ads on Facebook, and at some point you want a percentage of them to come out the bottom to buy some of your products or to use some of your services. Um, and you're always going to expect the, the amount of to come out of the bottom to be a really small percentage of what you put in the top. And that's yep. just reality. Um, so in, in, uh, so if we go back to the customer of mine, so she in her funnel, she's got a few things going on. Like she's got some um, email automation um, where – People go into the top of the funnel and they start getting sent emails from her. Um, and this this is the most important thing is like the relationship needs to be a, a, like a true win-win relationship between you and your customer. Yep. Because you know, when I start talking about I, – I always put coaches off when I start talking about the sales funnel because no one likes sales. No one wants to be like a sales – a no. salesman, if, if you're into the, in the fitness industry. Um, no, but you, you like this is what the, the trouble I have, for example, is that you, 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 you create all this content for your sales funnels that you have or your, or your, your, your engagement processes with people. Um, but then you end up giving away like tons and tons of free content before you actually get any buy-in and is you yeah. know how 
are we all giving away too much? Are we not giving away enough? How do you work that sort of a is is the is the world changing? You know, as people get inundated with newsletters and everyone's unsubscribe, yeah. unsubscribe, unsubscribe because it just inbox is just flooded. I know mine is uh, with with things that I have been interested in at one point. Um, yeah haven't bought for one reason or another and then you're inundated and it's a very difficult line to not peeve your customers off so to speak because you're in their face all the time and being forgotten uh, yeah providing too much value and not providing enough value yeah Where that's, do you that, see that's, that changing that's... and do you see that you know because you're at the cutting edge of seeing across a wide range of industries is is the is the world changing again? Are we seeing um, email blindness yet? Or are we? How's that um, sort of? Uh, you see, I always have this. Like I really like email. I feel like emails, because you know, emails like being in someone's pocket. Mm-hmm. Where um, social media is like being one tree in a forest. Yeah. Um, just because in social media is so distracting. Um, but when someone's looking at an email, they're just looking at your email. And I guess it's the – like social media is where you can attract a lot of people. But then you're um, – there's so much noise in social media, you know, and you feel – and it's so hard to judge things because everyone's liking everything and everyone is agreeing with you and everyone thinks you're awesome. Um, <laughs> no one buys and, anything. Yeah, but no one buys any of your stuff. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, you can't live uh, on here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's um you know, it's just it's just a thing that people people are getting people get used to seeing all of this content for free. For free. And yeah. yeah, and I think it's a combination of and that in itself I think is becoming an advantage because people get distrusting. Yep. So there's so much stuff out there and it's all it all it's all conflicting. So if you look at nutrition now Oh, horrific. Yeah, so if you look at the um if you look at the What the Health movie or something, which is on the vegan side of things, or and then if you look at um, uh, low carb, high fat, yeah, paleo so, and paleo. So those low carb, high fat against the vegan thing, like those are pretty much those guys are pretty much banging heads at the moment. And then if you look at um, the traditional like food triangle stuff, like that's again that's completely different. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then yeah. you like oh, grains. Like people will be arguing about whether you should be eating grains. You know, people will be having um, aggressive arguments on social media about, you know, whether you should be having um, wheat bits for breakfast. Or oh something. yeah, totally. And I, you know, uh, I'm, I'm totally embroiled yeah. in this whole thing and trying to understand it and yeah. pass the best information. So you have all this conflicting information out there. Yeah. How do you so, break through and bring your version of events to the fore and yeah, so that's the really. So I guess you, you need to. I guess the first thing is you need to be able to relate to people's real problems. So you know whether or not people eat grain or they don't eat grain isn't really the problem. You know their problem might be they don't they don't feel good about themselves because um, you know they find themselves eating these foods that they know they shouldn't. Yep. Um, but they do anyway. Yeah. So, you know, so that's the problem that they have. So if you can, I guess if you can relate to people's problems and demonstrate that you have something that might solve it for them. So you think people are willing to invest now in good information, they're willing to pay for that information if they perceive you to be an expert in that area and able to help them. Yeah, so... So if I look at if I look at it again, I'll use another example of something that I've been using recently. So if you're thinking about business and marketing, so you can go on to social media and blogs and stuff, and there's so many articles about online marketing and social media and all, and all of that, but it's just like overwhelming. Yeah, totally. Uh, and then you see some conflicting things, and you're like, and once you get stuck into it, you're like, oh, which bits do I do? And there's no structure to it, and there's no. Um, you know, which ones do you believe and which ones you don't. Yep. So I, I subscribe to this um, thing called uh, Tiny Marketing Wins. And basically, they, so it's this guy, right? So he, he's 
he's got a blog and some podcasts. His name's Justin Jackson. Yep. And I just started following him somehow. And then he he was saying a few things like, oh, just simplifying stuff. And I think that's quite a key. So you take some, a complicated subject and you make it much simpler. Oh, and then, absolutely so then, brilliant. Yeah, so, so I started trusting him. So I started believing what he was saying because he seemed like he was being honest about it. And and he was – and um, and the other, the other thing is you really need to, like, narrow down your target market. Right. So his target market was, like, like real – laser targeted software developers so someone who came from a software development background who was now trying to build their own business um by creating their software on their own and doing all their marketing Mm -hmm. so he's like oh right marketing for software developers that's my niche so that's what i'm gonna hit and then you can just then when you go on social media or whatever your messages can be like hey developers for you know if you're a developer and you're trying to run your own business, these are your problems. Like, I, I've got the answers to these problems. Right. So then you're actually like, and then it's for me, I saw that I saw some of his messages and I'm like, oh, that's that's exactly me. Like, that's targeted directly at me. Yep. So instead of being like, oh, for breakfast, you should be having, uh, like, some fat, not many grains, um, or whatever. Instead, you should be like, oh, are you a busy mother? Um, who's struggling to feed their kids, feeling a bit guilty that you're giving them the foods that you're not sure are right for them. Um, I've, you know, here, I know what your problems are. Like, here yeah. are some solutions. Yep, yep. So it's not, you, it's not targeting one specific uh, genre or belief system so much as yeah. identifying with your customer, working out who exactly your customer is, what exactly their problem is, and then answering yep. that problem specifically. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then and then also, so um, one more thing is to is to concentrate because you know what, yeah. So they're going to have objections to what you're saying, right? So yes. if, if if we go back and talk about someone who's who, who's a parent and is struggling to, they know that they're maybe not giving their kids the nutrition that they need in the mornings, so they know that. So their objections will be, um, I don't have time, or. Yeah. Healthy food's expensive. Yeah. Or um, oh, I'm confused. I don't know which is the best food. Like the All Blacks say that Weepix is the best food yeah. for breakfast. Um, <laughs> no comments. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> so then, so then you you got to address their objections before they have a chance to make them. Mm. So instead of waiting, instead of putting on Facebook, oh here's a great breakfast, and then waiting for someone to say, oh I don't have time for that. Um, you say here's a great breakfast. Here's a quick video of me making it, and it took me like two minutes. Three ingredients in uh, two minutes. There you yeah, go. Yep, Bang. yep. So you overcome their objections before they have an opportunity to make them. Right. Um, assuming that their their objections can be overcome, and and and, I, and you know most of them can, because most you know most objections are reasons why it's hard, why it might be hard, not reasons why it can't be done. Yep. Um. Yeah. So, so I think away the obstacles. So if we take a step back here and look at um, Training Tilt, which is your business, Cam, and this is your, um, you know, and if we look at then specifically how that answers, you know, certain people's problems, um, how did that yeah. come about for you? If we just take one step back from getting into the nitty-gritty and, and of, of digital marketing, but looking at it from a, why did you start Training Tilt and what is Training Tilt? Yep, so Training Tilt is a website and e-commerce platform for uh, fitness professionals, fitness and health professionals. So, so personal trainers, Yep, personal trainers, coaches, like triathlon coaches, running coaches, nutritionists. Um, so your personal trainer at your local gym, they could benefit from your platform? Yep, they could. They could. Um, it's It's... So it's pretty much anyone fitness related. So, and it's not just a tool. So traditionally, these sorts of tools are for building training plans and you know the real nuts and bolts of fitness, but not the business side of things. Yes. So I wanted training talk to to have both 
um, business in technology features. So if I look if I look at what I was just saying before about the problems, so the problem with that is is that technology is hard, and for a coach to try and pull all these things together, like e-commerce, um, online marketing. Um, and then, all, then also the training tools themselves mm. um, is really difficult. Absolutely. Uh, yep. Yeah. So I, my solution to that problem um, is to one provide a platform that allows all those things to be combined together. Um, so website, online marketing, uh, e-commerce, uh, and training tools. So training plans, mobile apps for clients to do their training from. Um, and and my advice on both marketing and technology. Yeah. Um, so not just. So I guess the difference between uh, another platform you might use is that when you talk to support, you'll be talking to like Some administrators. <laughs> yeah, administrator <laughs> support or whatever. Yeah, not the, not the founder and not. It's not community yeah. based for us. Oh, you know, that's one thing I yeah. love. Uh, and working with training to. I can get an actual answer from you um, within, you know, within a day or two to my specific problem, um, and you know, you always figure out a way for me. Uh, and sometimes you end up adding that into your software if it's a specific problem that will benefit others. Um, yeah. Whereas if you're with a big no, you know, you're a no-name customer in a big massive corporation, you you just you might get an automated email and you might get a you know, some admin person trying to answer yeah. what you didn't ask anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. this is yeah. the problem that we have with all the other software that I have to do with. It, you know, you've got to teach yourself a language pretty much in every every software program that you subscribe to. Um, you've got to learn how to use it. And that yeah. can take weeks to months to never Um until you're giving up, and then and then integrating those parts and pieces of the puzzle was a very big part of it for the for the small entrepreneur. Knowing what they need to, know. you don't know what you don't know, you know. Yep. <laughs> yep. And there's uh, said that really well. There's so, and there's so much you don't know. Like yeah. You know, and it's only so when much, you're yeah. in the middle of it when you're you know uh, trying to build. Uh, for, for me, for example, at the moment I'm doing an online e-course in mental strength and uh, resilience um, skills. So it's an, it's an online course that's offered and I've been using one platform. Now I'm trying to integrate uh, another one um, where it's all hosted and then integrating them with Training Tilt. And the, the cool thing is I can ring Cam and say, how the heck can I integrate this with this? Can you talk to my programmer here? You talk to each other and sort it out, um, yeah. and that's yeah, that's huge because you don't know at the beginning when you take on a, a platform what you're going to be getting into typically. Yeah, because you yep. you end up meandering. Well, I've def- definitely in our businesses yeah. meandered left and right until you know we've got some things right at least. Yeah, and uh, and, I, and I so that's typically that's what people expect from software they expect like they'll, they'll email support and then they'll get a message back to say um oh with here's your ticket number 4798 yeah um someone <laughs> will contact you within 48 hours and they pretty much contact you again and then they're asking the questions like oh what's your problem yes uh and as opposed to, to like yeah, you know, and then and then you'll get a message back, and then it's like from an address like no reply at um, thiscompany.com, and and then it's like oh, don't reply to this email because you won't get an answer. Yeah. So I just wait for someone to contact you, and it's like well, you know, if you contacted a real business, like if you went down to a shop and you're like oh, I need some help, and they were like oh, you can't talk to me, sorry. Yeah. Just wait and <laughs> someone, wait and someone. Will come, and I think that that, that somehow popped that popped that popped up somehow early on in software platforms where it became the norm that you wouldn't get good service. Yeah, well, um, it seems to be still the case. I mean, yeah, um, sometimes some are better than others, obviously, but you don't necessarily get your your questions answered either, or they'll refer you yeah. to read so and so blog, but because that's above your abilities, 
yeah as a as a technical non-technical person you, you can read x blog and still be no clearer <laughs> yeah yeah so, so that's definitely how i see like our our advantages and, and and also because because of the way i've set the business up um i can afford to do that yeah and i think because i uh that justin jackson guy i said that i was following his stuff about marketing for developers yep he pretty he pretty much to he's got an ebook so he says one of his lines in his ebook to try and sell it is um a software developer who learns marketing is unstoppable mm-hmm. and the reason is because i can do all the work my, myself yeah um so you don't like come up with an idea and like okay so let's implement this idea but to do it we're going to have to either put up our prices by an extra thirty dollars a month to pay for it or we're going to have to take something away like oh let's let's um only have two support people instead of three or something mm-hmm. like that. So because I've kept my overheads quite low, like I don't need thousands and thousands of customers to make the business work. Yep. So, you know, so I've got hundreds. Yep. Um, and with hundreds, I can I can manage pretty much all of the support by myself wow. and outsource some of the marketing and outsource some of the development when I need to. So how does the, uh, the little uh, small entrepreneur get on top of this marketing? Because we're all experts in our area, you know. Yeah. I'm an expert in running and mindset. Uh, Neil's an expert. My business partner is an expert in exercise science. Neither of us are experts in technology. Neither of us are experts in digital marketing, Facebook adverts, Google adverts, Google analytics, um, podcasting, you name it. We're not experts in that area. Do you think it's necessary for the the small entrepreneur just that they have to buckle down and do it unless they have the advantage of a big team, which most small entrepreneurs, startups don't. They have yeah, to so, basically do yeah, it. So, so, so I think some things uh, they do just need to to learn. Yep, buckle um, down and learn it. Yep, yep, just like right. And I think a lot of people, um, technology uh, in particular, a lot of people have a mind block about it. Yeah, totally. So <laughs> smart, smart people can't work out stuff, and it's because they've got this big technology wall in front of them, in front of their head. Um, and if you can sort of break through that, and, um, and yeah, I guess, it's, I guess it's, it's 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 hard, but technology these days is um, it's tried to be made so anyone can use it, like. Um, and I'm not talking about programming or anything, but using systems. Yeah, theoretically, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> theoretically, yeah. But it is like um, I, I know, you know, in, in my own case, I fought against it. I wanted someone to just come and do that for me, so yeah. that I could get on with the job of coaching. Um, yeah. But I've come to realise that that isn't a, u- a utopia that doesn't exist, and even now where I can bring in other freelancers and, and pay people to do different aspects. I have to understand or try to understand the process of what I'm asking for. And that's yeah. the level I think that the, a small entrepreneur at least needs to get to so that they understand what they don't know. So they yeah. understand what, yeah. what's, what's required and who where to get the help for that specific yeah, task. Yeah. And yeah, the key is like when you're asking for help, someone to do help for you, you need to be able to ask the right questions. Yes, you know, um, uh, and you need to be able to say, "This is what I need done." Yeah, I mean, I've got a, a, a you know a question with you just this morning. I need a subdomain something done. My programmer in yeah, India yeah. needs to talk to you to get. And um, I'm trying to, you know, facilitate that sort of communication. And that's the level I think that each entrepreneur needs to get to unless they've got a big team of yep. admin staff and they can palm it off. But most of us don't as small yep. startups. Yep. So, so I think, um, so I think you, you probably need, you need someone, like a technology person, to call on to, to help you work through those things. To, you know, so, so like... For you, like I, I would always be here for you to ask me the questions that you're I'm unsure sure of. One of your pain in the ass customers. <laughs> uh, no, none of my customers are pain in the ass. <laughs> you can't admit it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
so yeah, I mean, and then and then once you once you you're right, once you understand those things, then you can start doing the outsourcing because yes. with that connected world now, like you can outsource stuff to someone who's like living on a beach in um, Malaysia, yeah, uh, because he's chosen that lifestyle and he has the certain skill set that he can help people with, and because he's living on a beach in Malaysia. It, it doesn't cost a fortune to for him to do stuff for you. Yeah. Um, so he can, like, you can. So, you know, he yeah, might be, work, be able to work for fifteen dollars an hour or something for exactly, you. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I'm doing that at the moment with with people in India. And um, so, but do you think so that the the big agencies that are charging horrendous figures, mm. there seems to be no correlation between actual service. And these big agencies, you know, that I've approached in earlier on in, in 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 my journey, looking for help because you don't know where to go for yeah. help. You go yep. to these so, places and they want us, yeah, eight thousand dollars a month. You're like, yeah. what? What? Yeah. <laughs> so you know, from there it might be yeah. able to afford that. But so, no. So, so for us, like a solo entrepreneur, those those things are just not. Not really. Like if you if whatever you spend, you need to recover. From selling your services, so if you're spending eight thousand dollars a month, just imagine how 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 much stuff you have to sell, and for what price, and yeah. you need to get a return on that. So, like as far as I can see now, agencies are for big corporates, yep, um, who don't really care how much money they spend, and it's not the business owners that are spending the money anyway. And so you'll have, and and if you look at an agency now, having having worked for agencies before. They have layers and layers of people, so it costs. It, it doesn't cost eight thousand dollars because the, of the work you get back is worth eight thousand dollars. It costs eight thousand dollars because they've got a fancy office in Newmarket, yeah, and they've got really nice desks and monitors, and they've got um, uh, and the people that do the work, and, uh, yeah. and then they've got account managers, and then they've got management, and then they've got uh, administrators doing the accounting. And then, then the their account managers is taking people out for dinner to try and get their business. Um, and of course, they need to recover all of those costs. So, so that's the, that, you know, going back to the traditional mm. business marketing model, I don't see that as being, you know, unless you're um, Spark or Telecom or, or, you know, Vodafone or Fonterra, you, you can't afford that sort of moon money. And what I'm finding in my journey is that you can find those experts and it takes um, takes some digging and it takes some trial and error and some mistakes. Uh, find those people and they'll work for you for, you know, small amounts of money per yeah. hour or, you know, realistic levels. Yeah. Um, and yep. actually do and a better job. Yeah, and, and, they're, and they're able to do that because yeah. of, mainly because of technology because they don't, you know, they, if they, they've, they've decided that they don't, They've taken away all of that fluff around, yeah. you know, like a digital thing. agency has so much, like they spend so much on making everything look really cool yeah. or, you know, like it looks amazing. So when you go in there, you get impressed by everything. And um, I mean, they, they typically do a really good job. Um, <laughs> but, for, but, but for the, um, you know, for the small business owner, it's like you're just never going to recover those um so you have to be the one in charge. Do you th- the other the other question that I wanted to touch on today was distractions. Like there are so many shiny new objects. There are thousands of new t- software and um, technologies that do this and that and, and things you never even knew you needed. Um, how do you not get caught up in trying to learn them all and getting completely bamboozled? Yeah, and following, you know, like I, I listened to a podcast recently, and there was a guy from Lead Pages, Clay from Lead Pages, and he said, pick one product, one traffic system, one sales page, and work that for a year. Don't go off into trying to develop, which I've done, you know, your YouTube, your Instagram, your Twitter, your Facebook, yeah. your and your website, and integrating and running three or four different products or, or a dozen products in your first year of business, just not going to scale yeah. and it's not going to um, work. And I think that was, the, I, I really, I hang on that advice every time I want to chase a new shiny object that looks great. Um, and I try to bring it, pair it back to what is this part of the developmental 
stage that I'm in? Or is this something that could be written in one of my notebooks and shelved for next year's development? Yeah. 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 yeah I think, I think you're, you're totally right there because um, uh, in software we call it a minimum viable product. Yep. And I, I wish I'd learned about this four years ago. Yeah, what is because, this? So it's, it's pretty much the minimum thing that you can create that adds value to your customer or solves a problem. Um, and then you just create that and then you launch it. So you leverage the hell out of that one product as yeah. opposed to, uh, you know, for example, for me, develop one course and market the hell yeah. out of that course and yep. refine that and improve that, not develop three courses. Yeah, not develop three courses before. So if I look back now when I first I built, started building Training Tool in 2011, mm -hmm. um, didn't release it for sale until 2014 or 2000, end of 2013. Wow. That's a so, yeah, so at the time it was, it was like, oh, it's not, in the very beginning, it was like fun, like it was a hobby. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this could go somewhere, I'm not sure. But I never committed to it. Um, and then it was like, okay, now I'm going. I'm actually going to, I think this has got legs, I'm going to try and make it work. So, but it's not quite ready yet. And it's like, I want to have all of these features before I try and sell it. So then it's like, okay, so I'm going to build this, build this, build this. And it's like, okay, so now I've built all this, now I'm going to launch it. So then you launch it, and then it's then you figure out that, oh, no one's using that feature no one's using that feature. Uh, they like this one, but actually they wish it was a little bit different. Um, so getting it so, to that perfected stage was a waste of time? Yeah, complete waste of time. So you, you so, should have launched, because that's something that I've heard recently too, just launch yeah. and get feedback, refine, yep. improve that yep. service. Don't wait till you're in you're perfect, perfected. Yeah, time. yeah, because, you know... Um, People, you know, a lot of people who claim to be, uh, you know, you go all in, or I'm all or nothing. And you know what people normally get when they with that attitude, like nothing. nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and and then um, and then you always have you talk to people who have who've got some great idea about what they're going to do, you know. So, but then it all feels too big to try and do it. So you take that idea and go, okay, what's this, what's the smallest version of this idea that I can create and and release and actually see if someone will buy it. And this is, I think, it goes against the grain of many entrepreneurs and A-type personalities who are ambitious, they're hardworking, they're conscientious, they've, you know, they've gone through the whole university sort of world of, yeah. of having everything perfect before you present it to the teacher or to the yeah. examiner. And I think in the actual real-world situation, you have to stick that product out there and get the, the real-time feedback, warts and all. Yeah. Uh, even, you know, if things are going to break... Um, what does Mark Wahlberg fast uh, uh, say, um, or, or Google, I can't remember, move fast and break things. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, get it out there and then work it out. So, yep. yeah, chuck yep. yourself you in set, the You set expectations, right? So you don't, you don't put it out there going, this is um, this awesome product that's ready to go. It's like, okay, so here, here's my product. This is my first go at it. Like, the reason I'm launching it to this small so you launch it to a small group of people. You yeah, try to launch it to a small group, group of people. Yep. yep, and you get them involved. Yep. And it's not just like they're your customers. It's like, no, you you are my first customers. Um, I want your help to develop this product. I want you to be part of it. Um, Do you think people buy that? I mean, I'm doing that at the moment with a yeah. course. That uh, some, some people do, but only a certain type of person. Yep, so uh, you have to be okay with that. Not, yep, yep, you know, yep. Not and then being a being perfect and asking for help yeah. from your customer. Yeah, and uh, and then you need to be prepared for criticism. Yes, um, that's a hard one. Because that's, uh, <laughs> if I look back myself, and I'm truly honest with my life in the past, I've always avoided trying to do anything that might end up resulting in someone criticising what I've done. Yes, um, it's human so nature. Yeah, so you just don't, you don't put your stuff out there because um, you're afraid that someone's going to say, oh, that's rubbish, or what's he doing, or whatever. Yep. And then what I know what I know now is that, yeah, there's heaps of people who are going to say that, um, and that's fine. And that's fine because so, they've still not got anything out there. 
yeah, yeah, and some people, some people, and and then some of it, some of that criticism that you is, you can use, and you go, okay, yeah, you're right about this, um, so that's actually helpful, so I can improve that or take this away or add this in, um, and then and then some criticism criticism you'll just get because some people just like to criticise, yeah, um, yeah, so the, the, the so I thought you know, so when I when I launched training talk, like the amount of criticism I've had. It's just you know it's, really? it's so much, so much of it, but you know no one no one achieved anything yeah no one achieved anything at all without some sort of criticism. Yeah, and so if you I, look back at Facebook, so a real classic example of of they test things all the time on us. Yeah, yeah. and they will test it to specific audiences, and an engineer in, in Facebook can go go to their boss and say, I want to test this out. I've got this new idea, I want to test it, and they'll say, yep, use this 10,000 people in this corner, go for your life. Yeah. And as long as they don't break the infrastructure, they're allowed to do that because Facebook knows it has to keep inventing, it has to keep re, uh, redefining who they are and what they're offering and keeping ahead of the competition, and they need to allow their uh, developers and engineers the, the freedom to work like that. But they also know they have to protect their central infrastructure and the smaller your businesses you you don't even have much infrastructure to break so just get yeah. the heck the product out there yeah yeah just get it out there without spending because you know the more you spend the more time you spend on it the more money you spend on it the more you have to charge for it to make to make it worthwhile so then you might have even you might have even lost that that ability to price it correctly yep if you've spent too much because you know if you spent too much on it and Whatever you spent is over and above what the value that someone else would get from it, then it's never going to work. Yeah. Because um, then you know. It's, and speed, speed is of the essence in this world. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So you just gotta you gotta have you know you have an idea you try and break it down to the smallest possible thing that you think your customer will still get value from it. Like what's this you know what's this one what's this one thing or two things that I could create that someone that solves someone's problem, um, and how fast can I do that? And then get it out there, and, and then just see if it does solve someone's problem, and, and whether, whether someone's willing to pay for it. And develop a thick skin as far as criticisms, and and take on board what you can, and, and just keep improving and refining. Um, yep. Just before we go, Cam, because we're running out of time, and you know it's been an extremely interesting insight into the world of technology and software developments and. Um, training tilt especially and um, you know I've loved working with training tilt I've loved the fact that we're both growing at the same time and I can come to you and say hey you know is this an idea or can you help me with this and um, I think it's wonderful too to have an, a local you know a Kiwi based company that we can work with in this space so I'd encourage uh, any you know trainers or people like myself who are wanting to develop their brand to develop their coaching skills um, you know, even across into the life coaching, into the into the nutrition and all that sort of area, to contact Cam um, about this, and we'll be you know linking up things in the in the show notes. Um, just as an aside, you've also got a, a business consulting business, Little Lions. How does that work? Yeah, so it's actually all around the stuff that we've sort of been talking about. Right. So I've been I've been helping another startup. Um, Recently, so I started in, in the beginning of the year, and we've sort of built their platform together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all around the same sort of thing that we're talking about, like a minimum viable product. They had an idea. Um, they didn't know where to start, pretty much. They're not technical people. Um, so I just helped them with, all, with everything that I've learned over the last few years, being both from a technical perspective and also from from marketing and then leveraging other pieces of technology. Um, and so now, so what I, what I want to do um, now is, so I, so I built their platform for them. Now it's live and they're testing it with their initial users. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm like a virtual technical um, co-founder for them. So typically, if you'd have a startup, you'd you'd have some co-founders, and you'd have a technical co-founder as well who does all your technology stuff, wow. and then they would they would have a share in the business. Right. 
Right. So you know, you see, so you might have three co-founders. You know, one who looks after marketing, the other one who looks after like getting funding, and one who looks after technology. Um, but I, I've sort of positioned myself as being that person who doesn't need to be there to take a share of the business. Mm. Um, so I've gone like on a retainer for them. So basically, I just give them a, my advice. I work on the product when they need it. Um, and that's quite a good yeah. a, a good business model, really, isn't it? Um, having that yeah yeah uh, the technical sort of a three headed approach to to when you start up a business. Um, I think that's probably a good thing to. And that's another bloody hour probably talking. But that's so that's something you're doing on the side is helping other startups. Yep, it's helping other startups, and then um, also continuing. So so training tilt is um, still growing. Uh, so at the moment, it still needs um, some investment sometimes. Yeah. So I'm 100% owner of the business, and I don't want that to change. Uh, so this doing this sort of thing, I commit 10 to 30 hours a month to that, mm-hmm. and then everything else is just full-time on Training Tilt. Um, so that means that, that I can continue to grow Training Tilt business, but then at the same time, um, I'm home uh, 24 hours a day with my cats. <laughs> so have, being able to get involved in things outside of, home and outside of training tool so if also there was a keeps message, me motivated. Yeah, like if there's a message that you want to give out there to people who haven't started a business yet uh, but they're contemplating it, young entrepreneurs who've got an idea, um, what would be your your advice? You know, is it doable nowadays? And should they yeah, just... yeah. So it's, um, so everyone probably understands that it's going to be quite hard. Uh, but it's, I think you don't, you don't need the resources and the cash that you might think you need to start up a business. Um, You just need, you know, some advice from the right places, um, mainly about the things that you do and don't need to do. So you might have an idea in your head about all the things that you need to do to get started. Some of them, some of them might be right and some of them might be wrong. So, so I, I help these guys strip all of that away and say, uh, they had all these ideas about what they wanted to build to begin with, and I'm like, uh, you don't need that, you don't need that, you don't need that, you don't need that. Here's your MVP, mm-hmm. but we can build that in, um, in three months. Wow, yeah. So, so we built it in three months and launched it, and now we're getting all the feedback from real real users using it in anger, actually telling you, this is what you need to add, or this is good, or I like this, but it needs changing. Instead yeah. of trying to decide all that for yourself before you even get any feedback. Which is what you learned on your journey, and therefore you can pass that on now. Those yeah, 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 yeah. So if I, I was looking back, and I could have done the same thing that I did in three years, in um, three months. Yeah, yeah. Um, you just, and you, but you know, that's that's hindsight that's for you, both. And that's, that's a valuable commodity that you now have to share with others. Yeah. Yeah, so I can use what I, all everything that I've learned, to, to help other people not the not make the same mistakes. And you see startups starting all the time, they'll all be making all the same mistakes and not really. Some people will get mentors and then some won't. They'll just go out on their own. Um, yeah, yeah, get mentors. So. Listen to the you know. Um, I think it's really really key to have mentors and to have um, you know the likes of podcasts and books and things and and get just feedback from real life consumers. And keep readjusting everything that you do, and, and back yourself. Um, do things as a side hustle until they're big enough for you to jump into a yeah. full-time role. I think is another area. Um, just before we go, Cam, uh, how's the triathlon career go? Not too <laughs> bad. I mean, uh, I haven't done a lot of big training, so I've done I think eight or nine Ironmans. Wow. Uh, <laughs> so I haven't done one since beginning of last year. Yep. So my partner Nikki and I are talking about planning our next one, um, and we normally we normally do it as a holiday. So we're like training for an Ironman, been to Western Australia and Cairns, um, Canada, um, to like Great race week and Ironman, and a sort of holiday with a purpose. Um, so we're looking forward to our next one, but still training every day. Fantastic. Um, just not for six hours on a Saturday on the bike. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I don't miss those uh, sessions either, running yeah. and not, not biking. <laughs> I can't bike to save myself. I keep think, looking at the Ironman and going, I should do one of those. <laughs> and then going, yeah, nah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, the, the cycling's like the technology of it. Oh, yeah, exactly. Um, and that's, I can swim and I can run, but I don't know about that bike. <laughs> yeah. It's also very expensive. Hey, Cam, thanks for your time today. It's been wonderful having you on the show. I think you provided some really great insights for young entrepreneurs out there. Um, very encouraging and just giving a bit of a roadmap from the perspective of a, of a technology person and 90% of us aren't. So just to hear what, 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 what is what in the world of technology has been very helpful for our listeners, I think, today. So thank you very much, Cam. Yeah, no problem. And I just wanted to say that if anyone wants to talk about um, starting their own business, it doesn't have to be related to anything that I'm involved with. Um, you know, I'd be happy to chat to someone for... 15, 20 minutes about their ideas or whatever. That's great. Um, That's yeah. it. You know, I haven't um, asked you to do that, but that would be fantastic if there are any listeners out there. Um, and Training Tilt is actually going to be one of the sponsors of the podcast in future, guys. So take note. I'll be p- pushing the ads out there. Um, and because I'm going to be promoting Training Tilt hard, I love the platform and I love working with uh, fellow Kiwis going places and. Um, so if anyone wants to get in contact with Cam, they can always come through me or you can go direct to Cam as well. Um, I think uh, you, you can't go wrong. So any trainers out there, coaches, wanting to know about training tilt, please do get in touch. And, yeah, that's a very generous offer too. Thanks, Cam, for um, for doing that. How can people get hold of you directly? Uh, so they can just email me if they want at cam at trainingtilt.com. Simple. Yep, or they can go to the website and use a little speech bubble. Uh, I love that one. I can always check you in little notes. Where's this, Cam? How do I do yeah. that? Yeah, it's me, it's me at the other end. It's not a robot. <laughs> no. All right, thanks very much for your time today, Cam. All right, thanks, Lisa.